If it is to be said, so it be, so it is. This is Even Star Waco, a special series by my brother, my captain, my podcast. Normally, our adventures have us journeying across Middle Earth, but here we travel to the gilded halls of Logan Roy as we discuss the final season of Succession. I'm Manu, also known as Manuclear Bomb. And I'm Emily, also known as JRR Tweeting. Today's episode is Kill List, episode five of Succession's (laughs) final season. So before I do our spoiler warning, apparently I've been pronouncing Succession wrong, and it's really hard for me to start pronouncing it right. So I apologize to all the people whose ears I have offended and I guess now will offend as I stumble every time I say the name of this damn show. So our spoiler warning, we will be spoiling everything that has aired thus far in Succession. <laughs> uh, so just be forewarned. And while uh, while uh, Alexander Skarsgård is now heavily entering into our narrative, I did want to shout out episode number 27 that we did on The Northman starring Alexander Skarsgård. Uh, the title of that episode is Cut the Thread of Fate or something like that. I only wrote down the major nouns or major words from the title (laughs) uh, in the document. Uh, So uh, just, I figured it's topical. We'll be talking about Alexander Skarsgård here. Uh, So check out that episode for some other thoughts. Uh, And he's far more naked in that movie. I recommend you check the movie out as well. But like just as jacked, like just as jacked. It's kind of horrifying. They have to do that, uh, like what they did with Adrian Brody. They have to just kind of throw layers on him. So it's not... you know, obvious that he isn't fucking like Thor personified uh, in being. Ugh. So, Emily, let's say someone were trying to court you. <laughs> How much blood is the right amount of blood to send that person? Oh, my God. I like I uh, this show. Right. OK, so this show, I always feel like they kind of like there's a level of depravity that they get to like once a season and like. I think it was season one. It's Tom drinking his own cum, which is very funny. Um, but like, it feels like they always kind of set the bar. And then I'm like, okay, surely they will never drop lower than this. And yet somehow this blood shit, like, I feel like I've heard this before off of someone. And I feel like it's not like quite a Peter Thiel thing. Like it's maybe like an Elon Musk thing, like doing it with that girl from Pride and Prejudice. I've like heard this before, but like, I think the fact that like I've possibly heard this before and like the comment section of old gawker like makes it feel so much more horrifying in a way that like nothing else that's like kind of depraved that the show does like has been if that makes sense like it's just new levels of god what the fuck yeah no we always like kind of joke about oh the rich people are gonna steal our blood (laughs) um and then there's also like like the Jared Leto aspect, like did did he do something like this on Morbius? Like send people oh, his yeah. blood when he's like pretending to be a vampire. Um, <laughs> God, what? A freak. I, yeah. Oh man, what 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 an interesting place. Poor Abba. Um, I hope she comes out of this all right. See, poor Abba, um, but also it sounds like she kind of holds the key to the castle in, in a way, because I like couldn't figure out at first. Like I think in the. Which is the mindset I think the show probably wants us to go to. But like after Logan's death and then the the call from Matson being like, okay, get your doodle asses over to Finland. Like I was like, God, I can't figure out if he's like going from a position of strength and he's like, okay, he knows the kids are useless. And I think that was like the position that the show wanted everyone to kind of take was like the kids are useless. Matson knows that he's going to now try and ram through something really favorable to him. But then this this episode, like really kind of undercuts it. I think by the introduction of this, like, (laughs) blood donation, not blood donation, blood, like, 
I don't know, blood crisis almost blood interpersonal crisis. That's what it is. And like, (laughs) and I found it interesting because I think it shows Matson's weakness um, in a really kind of clear way. And, and this, this Abba girl is like the opposite of Shiv in so many ways where like Shiv is the one who's sent to clean up like, and do the dirty work for like these like aggressively patriarchal men who just do like fucked up misogynistic shit. And, and, no matter how many times Shiv has to go and clean up the blood off the floor, she never actually wins and she's never in a position of power over these people. Whereas like Ebba, like her whole thing feels like she's in a position of power. It sucks for her, but like she, you know, she even makes a crack to Shiv that like it's either they keep, you know, funneling money to her or she walks and writes a book and, and then makes even more money. And, and that was such an interesting kind of, element of this because I think it showed that like one Matson is weak in ways that like I don't think any of us had kind of realized yet because the show hadn't told us but also like there is an anti-shiv out there who is like horrifyingly quote-unquote protected in this world by like vis-a-vis her relationship to patriarchy and it's kind of just because like the alt-right is even more well maybe not alt-right but like the new right right is even more fucking weird than like the old feudal like feudal right and (laughs) and there's something so insane about that like of course blame that uh, blame the scandies for that shit yeah oh man we'll have to come back to that one uh i i have some thoughts on that (laughs) But I was kind of thinking it the way uh, Matson talks about Ebba to Shiv is like very specifically is like Ebba is a problem, like a problem the same way that, say, in Westeros, they would say the Starks in the north are a problem, like something that is like tangible and real, not just like, um, you know, I goofed up once and sent, you know, the CEO my dick or something <laughs> like that. Um, This feels like something a little more real. And I wonder if Matson has some intention in like the language of corporate consolidation that if this deal goes through, he can possibly use Shiv and launder his own reputation um, through her or use her as a shield so that if he does let Ebba go um, and she writes a book or comes out to the public, whatever, he can say, hey, but, you know, here I got Shiv on my side and she ran for a progressive politician's political campaign and um, she's a, you know, girl boss who goes and gets it. So I almost wonder if he views Shiv as almost a redundancy and a way to come clean with something he's already, like, kind of planning for happening at some point. Yeah. Um, whether it's now or 15 years from now. Because part of me really wants to hand it to Shiv Roy in this episode. Um, but then I remember the drill tweet that you never have to hand it to <laughs> Shiv Roy. Um, and it's, it, there is parts of me that are still seeing, because uh, Shiv, I think, definitely at least seems to come out as the winner of the three kids this uh, week. But I'm oh. just always kind of skeptical um, of anything that is perceived as a win. I just think who she is and who she is going to end up benefiting is just going to be someone else other than her brothers or someone within Waystar Royco. Okay, so this is interesting. So the Shiv being redundancy, I think it's really funny because it makes me think of the Andor episode where um, the first Aldani episode where um, Belle shows up with Cashin and um, is having to explain to whoever <laughs> it was like, 
you know, we we have to give him this equipment. Um, and whoever it is is like, well, we can't give that. That was our redundancy. And Bell goes, well, Clem is our critical redundancy now. And that kind of level of like cutthroat, who cares if they live or die? They're there to be our fall guy. Like, that's really funny. I think that's accurate. I don't think Shiv is the winner of this episode. Um, I think Shiv is the biggest loser of the week. I am like... I think, Shocking. yeah, I mean, I always think Shiv is the biggest loser, but I think like Roman for me was the winner of this episode in a lot of ways. Um, but Shiv to me, I think is kind of like this Sisyphean crisis. She's a Sisyphean sissy. Um, and like, she has this problem where, um, unlike Ebba, who like has clearly made the, ha- ha- has started to make the play that she can go and, and do something else and she will be fine. And she also like, at, at least as far as Matson is concerned, has no emotional, um, sort of interest in in the wider company or the the wider situation. And so she can, you know, pull the plug and say, fuck you all. I'm going to destroy your reputation. Shiv is screwed because there's an emotional component that she can't ever get past. Um, and so even as she's like kind of trying to fuck her brothers here by, by like cozying up to Matson, she's still always going to be in the eyes of these men, the woman who will cover for the men's bad behavior. And she will never be someone who can wield the fact of her being a woman, however cynically, against them in the way that Abba has. Um, and, and so, you know, Shiv will just always be the fall guy for them. And, and the fact that even now she's not realizing that, even after getting totally screwed by Kendall and, and Roman, even after that, she still hasn't like cottoned onto this. Like, it just makes me like, I just like watching it makes me want to like bash my head against the wall because I'm like, what like girl, what are you not getting about like the way you live your life? Like you are going to keep running up this hill with that big ass boulder and it's going to keep falling down and crushing your little toesies. Like what if you just stopped pushing the boulder? Um, and it's just, that's just, in, it's interesting. Cause I can also like, I can totally understand why like Shiv as the winner of this week makes sense. I think I just have like, like like the this question of like the kind of anti shiv or like the alternate path AU shiv I guess um, the introduction of that into this episode I think makes her loserdom feel all the more painful <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what, that's kind of why I'm looking for a backdoor out of saying she's the winner because I'm not just saying what I thought. I'm pretty sure our Discord and various other group chats and podcasts have mentioned. Just it seems like she comes out on top given that. Roman and Ken are just not happy with what happened at the end, and she is. Um, That's usually how a lot of people think about it. But um, I think in the end, it is Roman that comes out winning here, Um, and which is actually interesting how they the two brothers treat Shiv this episode, because Roman always kind of wants to clue Shiv in, like from the very cold open all the way through the end of the episodes. Like, should we get Shiv? Should we get Shiv? Should we get Shiv on this? Like, he says it at least three or four times, but I mean... There's a reason she's not already there anyways, um, the same way that some of this additional manpower and then all the fun faces we got this episode, um, we got the kind of that extended uh, B-roll of cast with like Mark and Ray, mm-hmm. uh, which was fun to see. Uh, so I am, it is one of those things where like Kendall has no use for Shiv, that much is like completely obvious mm-hmm. now. Um, uh only insofar as, hey, may- we can fire Tom if it would make you happy <laughs> kind of thing. And even that is kind of couched in the same way as like, go buy yourself something nice <laughs> and less so in a way that like they're actually trying to do something. Yeah, I think that's such a good way of putting that. Um, So so Roman's I don't want to call it a meltdown because I think it's fairly calculated, but like 
Roman's meltdown on top of the mountain towards Matson. Like, what do you what do you make of that? Do you do you make that as like a this is a dub for Roman? Do you take it as an L? Like, what's what's your kind of take on it? Okay, I guess part of it. Uh, God, this this is tough. Um, Because Roman was the one who last week was talking about how he pre-grieved and hadn't really hit him yet. And I feel like a lot of this is when it's hitting him, like over Logan. I think Khan is essentially sending him pictures of Logan's dead body <laughs> in a kilt. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what's happening. Yeah. And knowing Khan, he might not be taking especially flattering angles with it. <laughs> um, so um, I like he's like trying to deal with that. So I think a lot of like his rage is coming from a place of emotion. And I think one of the things that's telling to me about it being a truth is the way that Matson's taking a piss and that he just goes and just sits up on the like cliff face, like facing his cock and everything. Um, just kind of the same way they were talking in the bathroom last season, but like, and the same way that Roman also talked to Jared Menken in a bathroom last season. It's like, this is somehow a mode of communication where Roman's at his most honest and his like most, real um and it's one of those things where it kind of works both ways and roman's aware of it is like am i being serious maybe i don't know but i am <laughs> you know it's like almost a simpsons bit at a certain point uh it's like you can imagine grandpa simpson saying some of these words not all of them of course um so i like i kind of view it as in the end what mattson ha- probably has something on roman but in terms of what it looks like for Roman. And if the narrative is Roman and Matson like talked it, were the one who, you know, hammered it out in the end. Um, that looks good for him in front of literally everyone else. Um, and I'm still, I feel like we finally got a read on Matson this episode, but I'm still not entirely sure if he's smart or dumb. I'm just a hundred percent sure he's a wolf or a Viking. Like he has the instincts of a Logan Roy, if maybe not the same kind of intelligence of a Logan Roy, even though <laughs> Logan Roy has problems, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think you're, I think you've hit the, there's like a kind of childish, childishness to Roman. Like, and I don't mean in the kind of like intellectual childishness, like in the way, you know, I'm dunking on, no offense, but like, you know, Marvel fans or, or Mandalorian season three fans or Kenobi fans or whatever. Um, season three or season four season three um and and like <laughs> there's that kind of childishness but but there's something entirely kind of different to to rome's childishness it, it's like it's he's intellectually an adult but emotionally he's just never quite made it I, there's something kind of aggressively freudian i think now now that you mention it and roman's like fixation on having these conversations in, in bathrooms there's something kind of like rotely freudian in that like he's kind of like stuck in that like anal fixation kind of phase of development if you take Bride's development, uh, you know, <laughs> development right, to be right. a legitimate <laughs> thing. But, like, I think it's a perfectly reasonable kind of literary tool. Um, and, and there's something kind mm-hmm. of stunted about him like that. And and almost like, like, you know that moment when, like, you're 18 or however, however old, and, and you're first out of the house for the first time, whether at uni or working or whatever, um, and, and you have this moment of, like, something has gone wrong, like not in an emergency crisis way, like something has fucked up in just like a moderately annoying way. And like six months ago, when you were still in the house, you could have gone to mom and dad to have them fix it. But now you're out on your own and you have to fix it yourself. And so like the thing that has gone wrong in like a moderately annoying way is now just that much worse because you realize that like you're the asshole who has to clean the mess up. 
Like that to me feels like what Roman is going through in this. And that breaking point, I think, when when he just loses it at Matson feels to me like the the kind of moment, like you say, where, you know, pre-grieving be damned, he's actually realizing that Logan isn't there and isn't gonna clean up after them anymore. And so he now has to be literally the adult in the room. Yeah, the thing that stuck out to me in that conversation was when Matson called Logan a prick <laughs> and Roman's like He's not a prick. And I'm like pretty confident in saying Logan Roy is a prick. <laughs> yeah. Like that that is one of the few like uncontroversial like statements you can make about him. <laughs> um so I think it was really hitting him there. Um yeah, I don't know. I mean, for everyone involved, I mean, they got more money out of Matson. So I mean, the way that Jerry even was like, Good job, guys. Um, I didn't expect her to say a kind word to Roman ever again in this series, mm-hmm. really. Um, and just to see like the way that Frank and Carl were like, hell yeah, hell yeah. Um, although, uh, it is, uh, you know, kind of telling that right after all that news comes in, they also get the kill list. Um, and people on the kill list or who aren't on the kill list are stuff, people that Shiv specifically mentioned, namely Carolina and, uh, Jerry herself. Um, and then I think like every Hugo specifically, and then Mark and Ray, of course, because, you know, they're brown shirts in this episode. They are literally the it's secession brown shirt, succession brown shirts. Red shirts, red shirts, red shirts, red shirts. That's it. That's it. Whatever. Whatever. I, would, I think I think it's fair to call them bashes, though, as well, because because there's another fast shirt in this episode. And I'm like, man, succession's really trying to like get out the don't forget all these people are just like the fucking devil in this season and like jerry's turn towards like the weird eco fash on the plane uh was very fitting with her little brown shirt minions (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah no it is kind of funny like listening to um everyone go all nihilistic or pessimistic on the airline there and then jerry jerry who's uh all things considered probably the most qualified person anywhere within like a nuclear blast radius <laughs> of like these people. Um, like she's the one who's like, clearly there's like, well, you guys shut up. Here's how it's going to go. And even she probably knows what she's saying is mostly bullshit. Um, but she knows this is what you got to say. This is Logan Roy getting up on a stack of paper and yelling about being pirates. Like that has any inherent meaning. It really doesn't. <laughs> it's just the fact that he gets up there and yells about it. Um, and I, I think it's like, it's a great moment for Jerry. Um, and it's like, I kind of see her kind of playing more. It almost seemed like she was kind of fading after the first couple episodes, but I think she is going to be someone who's like a major part of these last four or five, um, episodes specifically with, uh, I think Roman's uh, story uh, going out of this thing. Yeah. Well, there's also kind of like a, a kind of an, uh, like a ca- not quite Catherine the Gate great, but like, you know, Catherine the Great coos her husband and sends him off to a little cabin to live out the last, I think, 18 months of his life until he mysteriously dies of something that is definitely not Catherine the Great having had him whacked. But like, you know, preceding that, <laughs> she's like underrated because she's woman, because she's foreigner. And and there's this all all this kind of sense of silent you know, it, it with with the the kind of luxury of historical hindsight, like we can now see it as she was sitting there watching and learning, um, and then immediately turned it around and 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 made the kingdom or the empire her empire, um, and 
you know, but without that luxury of historical hindsight, looking at a young Catherine the Great before she gets that that epithet the Great, you know, looking at that young Catherine of Russia, there may not have been very much to to, to sort of distinguish her. It's only after this moment, uh, this this critical juncture of either the the coup or Logan Roy dropping dead that like the the kind of clarity, uh, the clarity of purpose, the, the the kind of clarity of like education and learning and and savvy actually comes out. Um, and and I think it's funny that like. Because I, I think you're right that, like, Jerry is filling the, this is what Logan would have done. You know, maybe she's not thinking about it in that way, but, the, the like, this is what Logan would have done, so this is what needs to do. Jerry is filling that. But it's interesting to see that, like, there are other people who have taken lessons from Logan dying. <laughs> and then those people's lessons come in the form of wearing compression socks on the private jet. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, the best way you show off power is, uh, you know, doing the same habits of the people in power, the people in power before you. Um, that's how a lot of like culture gets passed down, I guess, even as like we go through revolutions and modes of change and stuff like that. Um, but it is fine. This was a, another great Carl and Frank episode, even though they weren't quite as prominent in like the spoken line realm as they were last week. Um, just like them putting on the cr compression socks together or them hanging outside the sauna and just calling the, all the other people like uh, pruning up, uh, peeking ducks hanging in the window. Um, they're just a very, very solid episode for um, those two. Um, and also, yeah, good Carolina episode too. It's This was a very well-balanced episode because they're also... They're doing like the Springfield Shelbyville thing where you meet like the bizarro version of each of these people almost in uh, what's it called uh, in a uh, Gojo. Uh, so you have like Carolina meeting her counterpart, Ebba, and you see Carolina is the one who actually took the time to learn a word or two in Swedish <laughs> or Norwegian or whatever they're speaking. Um, I don't know. Um, and then you see Hugo, on the other hand, just kind of like hoarding food, like, you know, a stereotypical American would, even though Hugo is the smallest person imaginable. <laughs> um, it, it it just it's it's really funny that um, they kind of had all their bit players here just so we could see their opposite counterparts. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. It really did remind me of seeing like the Shelbyville version of Springfield <laughs> characters or the bizarro version like in Seinfeld. <laughs> that, that is what it is. It, it, it was also interesting because I think, you know, the this show loves its retreats. It loves its corporate retreats. And I think if we think mm -hmm. back to the whatever it was, season two, I think retreat, um, we, we hear you. And to think about like not just like the extent to which these characters have changed, yeah, obviously, but like the extent to which they've all kind of had, like none of them seem particularly impressive when we saw them there um, at the ATN retreat. But now looking at them, they're all really embarrassing. And and I think the the kind of thing that has been the most painful for me, just in terms of like, a, I don't know if emotionally I can handle how embarrassing this is, is watching Tom and Greg just like, far from like the kind of like, Orestes and Pylades sort of arc I was kind of predicting for them in episode one. Just like fucking Tweedledee and Tweedledumass the whole way through. But like in the most painful way, I don't think I'm ever going to get over like spiritually, emotionally, psychologically. I'm never going to get over that awful little like making the quad thing with Greg. I just like watching that felt like stabbing myself in the eye with needles. And I like, I mean, I get why they did it, but I'm also like, God, nobody has actually suffered so embarrassingly as Greg has. I think this is actually possibly a more embarrassing turn for him than when he was like blasted and vomiting in a, a theme park mascot suit. 
Yeah, and he gets called a Habsburg, which, <laughs> I, I mean, means little here in America, but I assume on the continent, if you get called a Habsburg in the year 2023, that's, that's pretty bad. That Things aren't looking good for you. Yeah, it also means um, you got a fucked up jaw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it is funny. Like, he's kind of keeping up the same shtick he's been on the last couple uh, weeks or the last couple episodes, rather, where he's trying to ingratiate himself to the actual siblings. And yeah, you're right. He got the quad squad, um, the family. Like, I don't even know what he's what he's doing. Like, I don't know what like inspires him to come up and say these things to someone. Because <laughs> after last week, the way he was greeted at Logan's funeral, which is about as nice as anyone will be to anyone, is like at a wake or something like that. Um, and they were like, "Get the fuck, get the fuck out of here." <laughs> um, and just to think that like. Now was the time to say, hey, what are we thinking? You know, the four of us, we're on the inside, right? Even though Greg, question mark, like we don't even really know why he's here. Like Lucas is like, who invited him? Um, and oh God, you know what's more embarrassing is when uh, he like goes up to Matson when Tom's talking to him and Tom's already embarrassing the shit out of himself. Um, and then here comes Greg and he's citing The Economist. Oh. And the best he can say is like, don't bet against the baguette. <laughs> um, that's... <laughs> That's all he can really say. Um, and, and again, Lucas just like, who are you? It's so like, because there's something like, you know, Tom it kind of, ha well, Tom, not kind of, Tom definitely has that energy. But there's something kind of organically endearing about Tom in that like, you know, he says really unhinged and embarrassing things that you're like, no human being should ever say this with the level of confidence that this is being said. But like, there's a kind of artistry to it. Like, I feel like so many of the most memorable lines in in succession are Tom's lines when he's just saying the most like asinine, unreasonable stuff. Um, and and there's none of that like artistry to the way Greg bumble fucks around. And like and I think that that's kind of like there is this eternal sort of like second class status to Greg. And like now more than ever, I think it's really coming out and it's coming out as this like absolute weakness. And I think, again, it comes down to like Tom has had to prove himself in some ways because he has had to like social climb. He is like truly an interloper. Whereas like Greg is only really a social interloper who managed to fuck up the, the money situation, but like he comes from the wealth. And so he's not really had to like learn to have an artistry or a charm or a charisma even if it's that kind of backwards bizarro charisma that that Tom has and seeing it on show like this um, in, in this episode is such like a I wasn't quite expecting it for Greg, but like it kind of feels inevitable now. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, he hasn't had to really cultivate any of the skills to make him somewhat valuable to someone else. Um, even all the Roy kids like proper did that in some way, um, maybe less so con, but we'll, we won't worry about that for now. Um, and that's not, that's I actually like very much complimentary to con. That's actually probably very much a good thing yeah. to be honest. Um, but yeah, no, I think like Greg is like, even Tom is like, kind of, you know, ready to like burn Greg if it comes up to it. But I'm just wondering, like Greg is the one who like knows things and like, everyone's kind of utilizing him when they need to like Ken won't give him a second of the day but then he'll have him leak stuff to the uh, news or whatever and it's like so blatantly obvious Shiv just comes up to Ken and Greg and just be like yeah so what's the story in the news now about dad <laughs> uh and like how the or how the retreat is going like Sh Shiv again like I 
I don't want to compliment her on this podcast, but like all the like kind of bullshit that like Ken is doing, like about trying to ruin Logan's name, Shiv is seeing right through that. Yeah. Um, which is kind of which is kind of interesting because that's also what Matson kind of does with uh Kendall and Roman initially trying to tank the deal. Like, is like, are you trying to Scooby Doo me? Like, it's like they're so bad at the supposed tanking um, that it just becomes obvious to anyone with like half a brain cell. And I'm I'm still not sure if Matson has that many more brain cells, <laughs> but he definitely has more than Ken and Rome. Yeah, and I think that's the kind of thing is like Shiv gets it. Shiv is really like she's she's quite clear eyed in some ways about what's going on, and I think that makes her like her then running, not crying, but running to Matson all the more fascinating because it's like she's 90% of the way there. She's always teetering on the brink of uh, a revelation and just never letting herself do it. And I think if like Roman and Kendall had the sort of awareness that Shiv has one or the, one of the two of them could overcome the other and like become the ultimate, the last Eminem standing while the others are crushed. But like neither, neither of them have it. And, and Shiv has the awareness, but just can't fucking do anything of worth with it. Um, and, and so it's like, you know, there's this kind of thing where they all complete each other in, in interesting ways, but because they all refuse to actually like hang out or help or show solidarity with one another, they'll never actually have that kind of completed set. Um, and it, and it's the funny thing is like, you know, you see that really clearly with Tom and Shiv where they are this almost power couple and could almost be, you know, a kind of completion of the other, but just because they are all so incapable feeling human emotions and having genuinely human relationships with one another they're just always 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 stunted mm -hmm. yeah um and the, the other thing that it strikes me is that when uh tom introduces himself to i think it was abba but i can't be positive um and she's like oh right tom Tom of Siobhan. <laughs> um, and he's like, uh, also ATN. And I'm like, oh, that's so good. Um, because Tom's like the one who thinks like he's the most safe person here. Um, and I think, you know, that possibly gets shifted by the end, even though Tom, I don't think is on the kill list. I think someone gets mad about that, possibly Hugo. Yeah. Um, but I do think like if I don't know what kind of power, if any, Shiv would possibly wield under a Matson hegemony, but you know that definitely puts Tom in a very precarious situation. When already the her brothers have offered to just off Tom if Shiv wants to, anyways. So she's like kind of like you know holding the sword of Damocles above Tom's neck uh, to nice. use an expression. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's interesting because it's kind of the inverse. Oh, well, if Tom is baby daddy, and I don't know at this point, I think it's probably safe to assume he is. But if Tom is baby daddy, like what Shiv is now doing to him without Tom being aware of it is what Tom is also doing to Shiv without Shiv. Well, with Shiv being slightly aware of it, but without Tom being aware of it, I guess he's just never aware. But like, you know, Tom, by virtue of having knocked her up, is is really kind of holding the the controls over the rest of Shiv's life and also the rest of Shiv's child's life. Um, and 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 there's that kind of tense and 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 unnerving control or lo loss of control for Shiv there in that. But then Shiv is turning it around immediately and holding the reins over Tom because she can decide whether he has a career to speak of and he has money and security for the rest of his life or whether he has to go back to Minnesota and pick it all up from there. And, and you know, all of this in classic Shiv fashion 
all of this is happening without ever being emotionally articulated to anyone. I mean, Tom is the other party in this kind of ongoing war, and he doesn't realize that it's actually happening at all. Um, he doesn't he doesn't realize like what the kind of demarcation of the sides is. And and so I find it funny that like I think we've seen we saw in this episode Tom be possibly the most aggressive, not like physically aggressive. I think it was fine. It was funny. Um, but like the most aggressive sort of in terms of calling Shiv onto the car, like on the carpet, we've seen him in, in quite a while. Like I would even include the first episode of the show in this and like just really calling her out for her bullshit and not really showing any of the sympathy that like she's so used to kind of having, you know, flicking her in her ear and telling her she's got a thick barnacle like earlobe. Like Shiv's not accustomed to that kind of treatment from Tom. And so I think it possibly means more and destabilizes her more. Um, and yet Tom doesn't really know why he's kind of so justified in in doing what he's doing, because he doesn't really have an understanding of like where he is on the battlefield right now. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to get too like nitty gritty, like analyze every behavior of the pregnant woman here. Huh. Um, but it is kind of interesting. Like, I love how the camera cut away when she took the cocaine oh, from. My God, yeah. Uh, yeah, it just like the perfect cutaway. So, like, they don't even have to show her not doing it. Or, you know, maybe she did do it. You know, that's always a possibility. It's not like Shiv wouldn't do drugs. Um, the same way she has a drink in her hand most of the time. She also has her wedding ring on. Mm -hmm. Once again, it's just, it's hard to miss, uh, you know, because these people are extremely wealthy and they wear their wealth uh well, this episode's not... A, some of them have some really interesting fits. We'll get to that later. Um, but uh, it is, like, interesting, like, if Tom, like, hears that, oh, you know, Matson and Shiv were doing cocaine together up until, like, 4 a.m. or whatever, and then later finds out she's pregnant with her kid, like, how that might play Custody with him as well. Custody battle one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's a... The, the, the ear-flicking thing is very interesting to me, just because I don't really know much about ear flicking. It's not something we did very much, but it's like one of those things that's just like you are physically accosting someone, but not in any like meaningful legal way or anything. So it's not like he's, you know, physically hitting his wife, but you know, he is flicking her ear. Um, it's, it's just like kind of like on that line where it's just like, what are you doing? And kind of knowing the emotions that are kind of informing that um, is just like, oh, what is going on with these two? This is just such a mess. Yeah. Um, and like Shiva is like, she shouldn't like just be kicking dirt on. Well, Tom shouldn't be wearing white fucking shoes on a fucking hiking <laughs> retreat. That's 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 a big L on his part. Um, but like, what are they even doing? These are supposedly two adults here. And it's just hard to make sense of any of their behaviors up or down for me. Yeah. I, so I think there's a whole bunch that's interesting here, right? Like um, the, this show has such a weird, not weird. It has such an interesting relationship to like voyeurism and like the, the, the role of the camera in the audience. And we've like talked about that before, but I think there's like, you know, this show will show us, it will show us Kendall killing not killing ambiguously being responsible for the death of uh, a, a, a young hospitality worker but there's some ambiguity around that and so it's really not so much us watching a murder as us watching something that is just a bad accident happening um and you know the culpability is a bit questionable whatever whatever um so there's a voyeurism element voyeuristic element to that but it's it's kind of a bit it's a bit ambiguous um but there's something like the the cutaway from Shiv doing or not doing the coke, I think is interesting because this show is happy to show us the characters harming themselves and one another 
because they are all adults who have more or less consented to be involved in this shit show, you know, to varying degrees of extent or like family conditioning into to, to being involved in the shit show. But like they're all consenting adults in, in one way or another. And so the show doesn't really have any qualms in, in showing us um, them fucking each other up. But there's something interesting about the, the cut away um, with Shiv in that like, I think it's almost the show acknowledging that like, if Shiv is intending to keep the pregnancy and 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 see it through to full term, then like Shiv is now getting into the realm of like potentially causing a great deal of harm to someone who is not a, an adult, who has not consented to be involved in this. And so the fact that the show cuts away at that moment, I think is a kind of recognition that like there's almost a crossing of the Rubicon in terms of the behavior um, and in terms of the like narcissism um and and the show doesn't often want to show us the victims of these people's behavior quite quite pointedly because those victims don't really exist to to the these these characters um and and so it's just interesting to see where where these they've drawn the line on all of this and and what you know what is and isn't too depraved to 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 really kind of loop us in on yeah, especially that this is happening during a scene where, again, to think about this in, like, the simplest rah-rah terms, like, a scene where Shiv is ostensibly, like, doing good things for her goals. Yeah. Or, like, Waystar goes, like, this is supposed to be, like, theoretically, this is a win, you know? If, let's say, you know, after this morning, you know, Matson comes back to the table and they hammer out a deal, um, and, you know, maybe you can say that Shiv is more the reason that, you know, Matson bumped the price up to 192 and maybe not Roman. You don't really know. Um, or you can't say with any kind of real certainty, just like the same way you can't really say with any certainty that she did or didn't do the cocaine. It is always interesting to me what uh what matters and what doesn't, because this show always makes interesting choices around that. Cause last week or last week's episode, rather, a lot of people in the off week spent time talking about did they underli- underline Kendall's name or did he cross it out? Or what is it? What does it mean? What does it mean? But it really didn't matter beyond when in the episode they decided that Ken was going to be uh, CEO along with Roman. Like it wasn't something that mattered in the way that a traditional story would have us make it think it matter. Just like a more traditional or rote story would one way or another show Shiv doing or not doing the cocaine so that the audience could make some judgment about that. And that is a fundamental piece of this that um, either they're, you know, don't want us thinking about or want us to be thinking about the absence thereof. Or I even like what you're saying, that we are so gone past an event horizon for like what is deemed moral behavior amongst this group of people um, that it's almost irrelevant. I don't even care if she did or not. Yeah. Well, it's 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 kind of like the Andor thing in in the reverse sense in that like, this show doesn't really want us to form opinions on like the individual morality of of these characters' actions, um, because because it's not relevant. Because because what is relevant is that overall they are all so completely irredeemable that um, it doesn't matter if like Shiv does something that is occasionally quite assholeish or Roman does something that's occasionally quite nice, like push comes to shove these people are all still just the worst people in the universe and and the the kind of degrees of of kind of um 
the, the kind of pushing it one way or the other, it, you know, by a matter of degrees, isn't really going to change anything. You're so far to one end of this this axis that that you know an occasional opening or holding of a door isn't gonna change anything. It's not going to redress the the overall like harm that is being done. Um, and and so like when that show when the show does decide to not bring that conversation of like morality into it and, and and not like even and not even put it on the table um that is that is fascinating to me um and and i think it's also kind of interesting because like you know one of the things that they've been very careful about not showing us except for in that one shot is logan roy's body and like they're fine cracking some jokes about it i mean the kilt joke was it really interesting for a whole bunch of reasons but like you know we still are you know roman got a picture but we didn't see the picture um we saw brian cox eyes shut unclear whether he was dead or not at that moment um and beyond that they're really not showing us this dead body and so there's like a kind of lack of a human element to it he may as well have just become a fucking ring wraith and is now like cutting about weathertop waiting to fuck up a little hobbit like there is <laughs> this show by not showing things um so pointedly i think really kind of redresses the like you're saying the expectations for what like a traditional kind of tv show would would have the would would bring the audience in on uh, now, now that you got Weathertop in my mind is like Logan dies and then like they go up to this mountaintop and here's uh, Matson showing up with a hood on when we first see him um, for no reason. He's indoors and has a hood on for some reason. Uh, and now I'm thinking he's a Nazgul here to uh, take the ring, which I guess is Waystar Royko. Oh, God. Um, Genuinely deeply menacing, though. Like he stands up at the end of that little scene, that really tense and awful scene. And he's still absolutely jacked from the Northmen and like very imposing looking when he stood up I kind of went ooh what the hell is that because he's really he's a large man <laughs> like he's a very large man and like they really use that sort of sense of like neither Kendall nor Roman are like physically imposing um if there was a physical fight you know it's the Logan Roy line Kendall's not a killer um if if like Roman and Kendall got in a physical fight they would both lose if Matson got in a physical fight that's a man who would win. <laughs> like that is a man who would win. Um, and and there's a level of like, um, it's almost kind of like Matson's kind of modern capitalist masculinity. That's this like jacked up, righted out thing coming up against mm -hmm. that kind of softer, feudal masculinity that is like equally as as horrific, but like very different in what its expectations are and like the masculinity of logan roy and of kendall roy and of roman roy is the ability to like lord over this this fiefdom um appropriately and the the masculinity of matson is is brawn it's muscle and brawn and and there's a there's a real it's not just a clash of cultures in terms of like oh he's swedish and these guys are yanks like it's a real kind of clash of like epochs almost yeah, it's like um, the feudal projection of power versus like the Protestant capitalist projection yeah. of power. Um, I have not just been reading Max <laughs> Weber. Uh, but yeah, no, that this is where it's like I am not 100% sure. Uh, like I love Matson. I love a Skarsgård portrayal of him. Um, I love Matson. I don't even know what I mean by that. <laughs> but it's just like I really dig the character. And like part of me, like in trying to be bullish about the people on that mountaintop at the end is like him trying to like get that killer instinct out of Roman. Um, 
like, you know, it's like he's trying to be like, you know, are you guys Scooby doing me? He's like trying to get one of them to actually get to his like level of like just fucking going for it. Um, and he's able to get that out of Roman. So even when he's saying like Roman fucked up afterwards, after his big monologue, I wonder if that's exactly where he wanted to get him. And he actually feels better about working with Roman or at least one way or another, he knows he can get under their skin and still control the narrative. Cause that's ultimately what he does. Um, it is, um, I, I think he's smart, but I think, I think you have the right of it. I think Matson is a new type of thinking. Like he has the language and the know-how for a new way. Whereas uh, Shiv and Ken and Rome, they are that feudal aristocracy that's trying to hold on. They can modernize somewhat, uh, but I don't think they're ever going to be able to let go, and they're eventually going to be subsumed by the machine. Yeah, I, you know, I've got. I'm, I'm realizing how much of a different read on the whole Matson situation I, I've got from you, which is that, like, I think he's over playing his hand in a lot of ways like he's trying to make himself seem really really strong because he's actually incredibly weak um and and i think like roman and and kendall are missing it in a way um you know kendall and rome both want to walk from the deal but for different reasons and they, they haven't realized i think that they could probably turn this shit around you you know uno reverse card it um and and really kind of ruin this guy's wreck this guy's whole life um but but it is that like it is that total clash of kind of sensibilities clash of clash of clans um, if you will um and i think it's interesting as well because there is like a kind of figure of the old guard who is you know who is one not logan Roy, but who's also like pointedly not present in in this episode and who's instead at home kind of tending tending the the castle while the rest of them are away and and doing some some strange stuff and it's connor um and and i think like in an episode or two episode run now where like they're all dealing with the like legacy of and grief for logan roy it's interesting that the actual like physical being that is logan roy has been left to the sibling and child they all care about the absolute least yeah no i i think i think that's a fair read too Again, I'm not committing to my views on Matt's. So <laughs> I will bring um, you around. <laughs> All of these people are morons. <laughs> um, I do have to say, on a very irrelevant note, um, I love the number of turtlenecks in this episode. Yeah, um, I am a big turtleneck guy, and I think I think I saw at least four or five turtlenecks at various points. Tom specifically looked great yeah. uh, when they were taking the plane there with the black turtleneck with the little coat on. Um, just an excellent look. I love turtlenecks. Um, I, I, it, it was funny watching them kind of dress up for this episode. At one point, Shiv is doing the Adrian Brody thing where it looks like she's got like eight layers on. Um, so it's almost weird to see how she's dressed elsewhere in the episode. Um, and do you have comments on how Shiv's been uh, dressing this episode or this so far this like season? Like shit. Like shit. Um, Shiv is weird because throughout the show, she's like occasionally had some really stellar outfits and then a lot of it is very like so so um and this season has just been like every outfit bar like maybe one or two has been an absolute clanger um i should like preface this with that that like floral dress that she wears at um harriet walters i can never remember her name uh harriet walters's wedding in 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 uh in Toscany. everyone seems to love that dress i hate it and think it looks like it's off the fucking rack at loft and taylor and just like belongs on a middle school principal um but so that's i think probably important context <laughs> for my thoughts on on shiv's outfits but like she's been real bad this season so far and like 
it looks like she's like fully given up and she probably has to be honest and she's also probably reckoning with the fact that she's like what four and a half months ish pregnant now so her shit's probably not fitting her like it used to um and so she's probably limited in that way but like man her outfits have been so bad so like it looks like it's like cheap Shein clothing like it it doesn't fit her she's got like all of her like all of her like undergarments like you can see like panty lines everywhere you can see like bra straps straps sticking out like the bra doesn't fit there's like a whole bunch of stuff and like if you look at the costuming on on the rest of the characters it's it's all good it's all great and so like it makes me think that this shiv thing is like very particular i mean that pantsuit thing that black and white pantsuit she's wearing at the top of this episode is galling in how bad it is the pants don't fit the shirt doesn't fit it's like unironed the material doesn't look it looks like a cheap kind of sateen almost it's not right it doesn't look good on her she looks like at the, I think in the, it's either the middle or the end of the episode, she looks like she hasn't ever brushed her hair. Like, it's just not like, it's not how a billionaire should dress necessarily. And I think there's, there's something kind of interesting in that because it's again, like Shiv being marshaled away from the rest of femininity. Like Will is in this episode for all of like 30 seconds and the outfit she's wearing is stunning. And I spent like an hour today trying to find that exact dress. And like, Willa knows how to wield the wealth and Shiv doesn't. But like in an episode where everyone else also looks like they've just walked out of like an LL Bean catalog, Shiv looking odd, looking out of place. I just feel like it sticks out all the more to me and and I'm not quite fully sure what to make of it yet. No, I I, I think you're spot on with all that. Um, I like the LL Bean stuff just because I like to oh, do a little so bit good. of hiking um so uh i appreciate i appreciate the change up um the very last little tidbit i wanted to uh mention is i did think it was fitting given how much you talked about kind of the immaturity of some of these people especially like rome or greg um and kind of like a backdrop for this entire ep- episode is basically uh waystar royco's marvel cinematic universe <laughs> and their calypsotron movie um which i think is like the perfect kind of what should ostensibly be like kids or all ages media that makes like adults go insane. Um, It kind of feels like the perfect, like kind of thing to be just sublimating in the background of this episode. As we see all these people who are functionally children in adult bodies and adult, you know, roles and responsibilities. Um, I just thought it was a really nice touch that doesn't overplay the part. Yes. So, okay, so so there are so many bits and pieces. Like, this thing is just, like, boiling underneath everything. And, like, I think every time they mentioned it, I just felt so winded by it. I wasn't, like, picking up on all the bits and pieces. But, like, I'm trying to reconstruct this movie. So it's it's a movie called Calypsotron something. And it's about a sleeping robot. And they've already filmed most of it. But they need to do reshoots because it sucks. And it's meant to be coming out soon that's all i've got out of this like is, did, did you get more out of that like do, is there more there or is this just like one wow. of the most like comically odd subplots we've had in a while uh and it's also got i think it's supposed to be a three-hour movie uh based on <laughs> what i picked up from this um so i was trying to think is there any like specific production like from like the mcu or star wars or something that this could be like aping whether it's like 
Rise of Skywalker yeah. or something like that. It would be really funny. Um, and I love, I do actually kind of love Roman trying to turn it into like when they're like really bad at trying to tank the company. He's like, oh yeah, let's have a sit down and show this really fucking shitty ass movie, like turning this colossal waste of money that, um, cause he says in the like beginning is like, I'm going to have to yell and moan about this, but then we're just going to have to okay the money to fucking finish the damn movie because that's what movie movie studios do. And I'm sure it'll probably make half a billion dollars because that kind of garbage generally still does, or at least did a um, little, little harder now. <laughs> uh, but it is really funny. I think that's the extent I got of the story. I barely remember them mentioning it before, but I think they had. Um, but it is just funny. It sounds more like Transformers, which is even like, you know, we have the MCU at home kind of thing, which would actually be fitting for like ATN's kind of idea of what like a media company should be doing. What was the movie they talked about in the first season? It had something like chicken in the name or oh, something? God. That Rome- oh, I couldn't remember that if my life depended on it. Oh, my God. Well, it does depend on it. Oh, no. Um, I'm going to call it Chicken Run. It's not Chicken Run. Shit. (laughs) Oh, man. Chicken Run's the very good, uh, what's it called? Uh, Ardsman, right? Yeah, Ardsman. Ardsman movie? Yeah. Yeah. Ardsman, that's it. And you know what? There's something kind of funny because I think like the, you know, it is, I mean, it's inevitably Marvel because that's Marvel just runs all this shit now. But like, so the whole spinning off. ATN or the attempt to spin off ATN and then package up the rest of the entertainment company and sell it away is how Fox Fox did it. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's mm-hmm. exactly how Fox did it. Um, and and so there's something kind of funny in here. And, and like, you know, I think that deal, you know, massive though it was and and like, although it has now condemned us all to just like millions of different streaming services and endless misery of like AI generated. Thank you, Joe Russo. AI generated bullshit out of <laughs> Disney or whatever. Like. I think that was like basically a competently handled deal. And it's funny to see that this is like an alternate universe version where like the deal is not competently handled. And like, what if all of this had happened or had, you know, they'd attempted to have this happen. And instead, everyone just fucked up every single step of the way and embarrassed themselves and probably blew a massive hole in the like value of this company. Anything else or... Is there anything else? Um, what is the? Yeah, I think I, I think I got it. I think I got it. That's all. Oh, uh, to to open this episode, we get another Ken listening to music that is way too cool for him. <laughs> um, I absolutely am not familiar with the song "Takeover" by Jay Z, even though I definitely have the album that it's on. <laughs> but I do know the Doors sample or the Doors song that that song is sampling. Uh, Five to one, uh, which is a Doors song that I really like. Nice, because I'm an old person. I still like the Doors. Oh, well, that's fair. Oh. <laughs> I think there's also, um, so Kendall listening to music telegraphs so many different things, but I don't think the mm-hmm. Kendall listening to music has ever felt more pathetic than when the car door opens and suddenly we fully understand that it's diegetic music and you can just kind of hear it playing softly outside of the car. And like, yes. you have to reckon with the fact that like, there's a driver in that car who's also having to listen to that. And like, Kendall's getting out of the car because he can't drive himself and like, or won't drive himself. And like, he's going to now have to leg it the rest of the way. And there's just something kind of like equally intensely lonely and intensely pathetic about all of that little hype music bit. 
Yeah, no, it was great. Like exactly because of what you said, because it starts out so loud, you think it is going to be part of the score. Um, and then when it like you realize that it's just him listening to it um, and it's kind of pathetic. And it reminded me of the series pilot, right? Where he's like listening. Is it to the Beastie Boys? Yeah, even? Um, I, f- I forget. And then he comes out and then he completely fucking blows the Valter deal. Um, and which actually gets a shout out in this. I think uh, Matson throws Valter in his face while they're having beers uh, during the pig roast. So um, there is a lot of like nice little touches like that. Whenever Ken's getting hyped up listening to his music and looks like he's got his shit together, he's going to epically fuck up like in some way previously unimaginable. Yeah, I think that's basically the lesson of all of this is like these people are also stupid. Every time it seems like they've got it in control, you should be sounding the alarm and like getting your parachute pack at the ready because they do not have it under control so before we sign off today we would like to thank our five and ten dollar patrons if you sign up for our patreon at patreon.com slash my bro my cat my pod you can get assigned a middle earth name and we will read them off every episode for our ten dollar patrons and on a rotating basis for our five dollar patrons so today we would like to thank johnny flores jr aka lothaman Palinke, and ed the revelator aka silent spider guardian of carathungal Nick Smith, a.k.a. Ronase. Matthew Abbott, a.k.a. Aranmo Minyatar. Lacquamelme, a.k.a. Zach Newman. <laughs> Sal Quintil, a.k.a. Cam Lewis. Eruanian Tyrannin, a.k.a. Matthias Henson. And Munjol, a.k.a. Penamel. And this week, we'd like to thank Rosorno of Arenor, a.k.a. Lenny Not Dead. <laughs> and Alice Terriel of the La Salia, also known as Maddie. And that closes the book on this episode of My Brother, My Captain, My Podcast. Our email is mybrothermycaptainmypodcast at gmail.com and mybromycatmypod on Twitter and Instagram. You can support this podcast by subscribing to patreon.com slash mybromycatmypod. I've been Manu, also known as Manuclear Bomb. You can find me covering A Song of Ice and Fire over at Nauticast ASOIAF. And I've been Emily, also known as JR Tweeting, which is where you can find me on Twitter, where I will be 20 years into the future doing key bumps with Shiv's child at the worst NYU party you've ever been to. Oh, funny thing that I forgot to mention, right when Shiv is talking about a meaningful bump to the stock price is when <laughs> when fucking Matson does his bump <laughs> of cocaine. I thought it was very, very meaningful, I would say. Toasting a pint to our sound editor, Stephen Boyd, a.k.a. Ithraglier and Drathion, a.k.a. DJ Empirical on Twitter. Please like and review our podcast wherever you may be listening. So until next time, uh, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>